So, yes, we are reading from Revelation chapter 22 this morning. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on, other, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy, because I am coming soon. Bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right of the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is as your people this morning to come and worship you together, our holy, faithful, and just God. And Father, I pray as we worship you and as we sit under your word this morning that you would focus our hearts and our minds fully on you, Lord, 
Father, I thank you for what you've done in our lives. I thank you that we've been freed from the wrath we deserve because of the work of your son Jesus on the cross. Lord, give us thankful hearts. Father, we pray this morning for us as a church. Lord, I pray that you give us um, all that we need and that you equip us and help us, especially over the next couple of weeks, Lord, as we seek to reach out to others in our town. Lord, I pray for all the planning. I pray that you be in all of that and that it would bring glory to your name. Lord, we so pray that others would hear the truth of you and come to know you as their Lord and Savior over this Easter time. Father, we pray um, for many of our brothers and sisters across the world today who don't get to meet like this. Lord, we pray that your spirit will encourage them and build them up and give them strength. So Lord, as we sit now listening to your word, I pray that your spirit would be at work. I pray for John as he speaks, Lord, that you would equip him with all that he needs. So Lord, make our hearts attentive and speak to us, we pray, that we may go from here changed and ready to love and serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Morning. This morning we are sort of finishing our series in Revelation and sort of not. And I'll explain what I mean by that just now. Today we are in the last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22. But next week what I'm going to do is do like a roundup of Revelation, sort of main points, main themes that we've saw throughout the book of Revelation. But I'm also going to deal with uh, something I'd said I'd deal with a couple of weeks ago, and that is the millennium. Uh, found in Revelation 20. And so that, that's an important thing for people. So I want to take a wee bit of time next week to look at that and just explain what the different positions are on the thousand years. And then I'll give you what I think, which matters very little. But I'll give you what I think on that. So if you've ever heard of the millennium in, in, in Revelation 21, you'll know that it's post-millennium, pre-millennial, a-millennial, whatever millennial. Uh, there's loads of different positions in that, so I want to just explain that next week and take a wee bit of time on that and then do a roundup of where we've been in Revelation, the main points, main themes that we've saw. So that's next week. But today we're in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the book. I want to begin today by asking you a question, and it's this. What would happen in your home if you got word suddenly that some friends were coming to visit and they were going to stay for a while. What would happen? Well, I'll tell you what would happen in my home. Uh, mayhem would ensue. Panic would ensue. There would have to be preparations made. Things, jobs that I've been putting off for about two years would have to be done because these visitors were coming and they were going to stay. And, and you know, it's not, you can have people in your house every day of the week, but if people are coming to stay, that makes a difference, right? No, it doesn't actually. It's all in our heads. But the reality is, if that would be the case in your house or not, mayhem might ensue, it might not, but preparations of some sort would be made. Things would tighten up. As I say, maybe that's not the case, but you see, the reality of a visit 
would provoke a response. The reality of a visit would provoke a response. It would affect our behavior. We would clean. We would paint, in my case, a ceiling that has not been painted in two years. I can visual it now. We bathroom downstairs. Needs done. Haven't done it. Too much time for cycling. Right? Uh, But all those things would need sorted. It would affect our behavior. Things would be put in order. Do we believe that Jesus will return to this earth soon? You see, three times in the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus says explicitly, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. The time is near. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Can you say, as we see at the end of chapter 22 here, John, he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha in the Greek. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you say that with joy? knowing that you are ready for that to happen. You see, today's text should give us pause before we reply, yes, straight away. The tree of life that was blocked is now accessible in the new heavens and the new earth. But what's more important than the tree of life being there is that He is there. He is there. In that place, we are blessed because He is there. Blessed are those who wash their robes. We need to consider this, just that statement, blessed are those who wash their robes, because we need to see what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying blessed is every person, every man, woman, child. He's not saying that. He's not saying blessed is every man or woman who tries to do the right thing. He's not saying that. He's not saying blessed is every man or woman who is sincere. No, he's not saying that. He's saying blessed is everyone who has had their robes washed. Again, I say this chapter is a chapter that contains a lot of joy, but it contains words of great severity, words that we need to contemplate, words that we need to dwell on, and answer the question, are we ready for the return of Jesus? A couple of things we see in chapter 22 are things we'll look at next week, some of the major themes of Revelation, but one that pops out here of Revelation 22 again is God's sovereignty in all things. Many other passages in Revelation have emphasized God is king. He does what he pleases. No one can disrupt his plans. We, we, we read in Revelation that he even uses the evil acts of men and evil spirits to accomplish his purposes. His sovereignty extends to every act. 
We know that. Even those acts, and this is important, even those acts that are in the future. And this is the emphasis of this passage. Look at verse 10. It says this in in Revelation 22, verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. The time is near. Here in Revelation, and in other places, we see that there are certain things that must happen before the end. We see that the gospel must be preached as a testimony to all the nations, 24:14. We see that a church must be established among every tribe and tongue, Revelation 7. We see that God must destroy all his enemies, Revelation 19 and 20. Now, he can only know that the time is near if he is in ultimate control of all the things that will happen to bring time to a conclusion. You see, the reality is, in other places in Scripture, he says that the time is not near. Daniel, he says this, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I saw, and then I said, O my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things be? He said, Go on your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. And so what we see there is a clear statement that that the time is not near yet. So he knows when the time is coming. He is sovereign over that. Every event that takes place, takes place under his sovereignty to bring time to a conclusion. He knows the future. He knows what his enemies will do. He controls them. Verse verse 13 underlines this, using words we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 21. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, who spoke the words in chapter 1 and 21? The Father. Chapter 1 and 21, John is explicit. The Lord God, God the Father, says, seated on the throne. He's the one that says, I am the Alpha. And, the, and who is it saying here? Jesus. Jesus is saying these words. The Greek puts a strong emphasis on the word, I am the Alpha and the Omega. We know those words to be an Old Testament reference for God telling, communicating who He is. I am. Am. Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is again stating that He is in fact God. And He is in control of all things. This is Jesus Himself, and Jesus is sovereign Lord and King. He controls all of history. He controls all of the future. He controls his enemies. And he says he is coming soon. Now, there's a couple of points of application that we need to take from this. One is this. Jesus is sovereign and Jesus is good. 
Jesus knows the future, and therefore we can trust the future because He is good. And we know, the Bible tells us, that for those who love Jesus, He works all things for their good. And so He's to be trusted. How many of us are anxious about the future? How many of us are stressed? I am. I'm anxious. I be anxious. I'm sure there are lots of you are anxious. You worry about what is to come. You worry about what's happening next week. You worry about your children. You worry about X, Y, and Z. We worry, we worry, we worry. Here's the thing. Jesus knows what's down the line, and He knows what's good for you, and that is exactly what He will bring into fruition. Exactly that. What is good for us? He is to be trusted. He is sovereign and He is good. But there's something else we need to pick up on here, a wee point of application that we need to pick up on here when Jesus says that He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is claiming to be God. And here's an important point. Jesus said, no one, listen to this, no one comes to the Father but through Him. No one. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the exclusive claim of Christianity, folks. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. No one will turn up on the day. No one will, will die. And I, Listen, we've been through Revelation, and I, 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 be, I need to be honest with you, I don't know how all this works, all right? I, like, you're going to use, John, what happens when we die? We'll be with Jesus. I don't know what it looks like, but we'll be with Jesus, all right? But no one's going to turn up on that day, and Peter's going to be at the gate, obviously, because that's what we've been told, all right? That's what we think, and we're going to be, he's going to be surrounded by wee angels, on, on, like we just debunked last week. But uh, what's going to happen? No one's going to turn up and be like, and Peter's going to be like, how did you get here? No one is going to say anything other than through Jesus. And this is something we need to claim, folks. This is the exclusive claim of Christianity. We cannot be going around saying that there are other ways to the Father. We cannot say that, oh, well, listen, I'm putting myself in fire line here. We cannot say that Buddha will get us there. He won't. We cannot say that any other religion in the world will get them to heaven. It won't. Fact. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. People say, oh, Christianity is very exclusive. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. No one comes to the Father but through Him. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is it. End of story. And we need to stand on that. We need to stand on that. Because in these days, that will be challenged. And it will be challenged more and more and more and more. And we can't fudge that. There is one way. Jesus Christ alone. That's it. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is sovereign in all things. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. And he will work everything out for those who love him for their good. The second thing we see here uh, in the second half of verse 16 is that, and this is, so point one, God's sovereignty in all things. Point two, God fulfills his promises, everyone. God fulfills his promises. Look at the second half of verse 16 in Revelation 22. This is what Jesus says. Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. If, if you know the Old Testament, if you've been around a carol service, you will recognize those words. Those words come straight from Isaiah 11. Jesus saying that he is the root of David. Remember, Jesse is the father of David. Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What God does in Isaiah 11 is give a promise of the coming Messiah, of the coming King. He will bring righteousness to the earth, so the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Now, when did God speak that promise to Isaiah? More than 2,500 years ago. Jesus says through John, you know that prophecy that I gave all that time back? All that time ago is now fulfilled. The promise that the descendant of David will rule, the Alpha and the Omega, the root of, uh, the root of David, of Jesse, I am the fulfillment of that promise. And again, we're reminded of what God said to Habakkuk. He says this, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, and it will not delay. God fulfills His promises exactly on time. Exactly on time. Not one minute too fast, not one minute too slow. And so we can look at chapter 22 when, God, or when Jesus says, 
I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. What he's saying is, I fulfill every promise. I fulfill my promise to the nations. I am here, and I am the king. Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. We saw that before, actually, in Revelation, when we did the Re- Revelation series to the churches in chapter 2, 28, when he's speaking to Thyatira, the church in Thyatira, he calls himself the bright and morning star. Well, what do those words have to do with God's faithfulness? Peter gives us a hint to what they mean in accordance to God's faithfulness when he says this, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do. Do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see, the reality is this. When you see the morning star, the night is almost over. When you see the morning star, the night is almost over. It's not yet dawn. The darkness persists, but it's coming. The day is coming. The time is near. Just so with the coming of the king, people who have walked in darkness for centuries, the light will come. The morning star will dawn, and light will be with us. We all know the reality of the dark world we live in. We all know the reality of our dark hearts. But there is a day coming, soon, when the bright morning star will appear and all of the darkness will dissipate. All of the darkness will dissipate and there will only be light. There will only be light. Do you see how the first two points here mesh together? God is sovereign. He's in control. He's made made these great promises in the past. And he is sending his angel here in 22 to say, trust me, I am the fulfillment of that promise. And I am coming soon. Again, let me ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? Folks, the point of application here is this. God can be trusted because He keeps His promises. How many of us are sitting in here now and we're doubting God about what He has promised us? We all do at times. I don't think there's anybody in here would be have enough bravado maybe to say that they don't doubt what God has promised. We all do at times. But when we look at a passage like Revelation 22 and we see that He is fulfilling His promises and that He is the fulfillment of the prophecy made in Isaiah and He is coming soon, we know that He can be trusted. He can be trusted.
The reality of Revelation 22 is this. It breaks down humanity into two groups of people. Two types of people. And this flows from the first two points. It flows from God's sovereignty and it flows from Him fulfilling His promises. But, but it breaks us as human beings into two groups of people. You see, some will respond to the sovereignty of God and the fact that God keeps His promises. Some will respond to that actually with anger. Some will respond with anger and indignation about that. They won't like that. They'll respond with anger and rebellion. And some will respond with joy. And God tells us in Revelation what will happen to each group. He outlines what will happen to each group of people. And he contrasts a few groups of people. The first two groups of people he contrasts are these. God's people keep his word, and God's enemies put themselves above his word. God's people keep his word, and God's enemies put themselves above his word. This is what he says in Revelation 22, 18, 19. I warn any, everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the book of Revelation. Again, as so often the case in Revelation, these verses allude to a, a passage in the Old Testament. They allude to Deuteronomy 4. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 4. Everything that I have commanded you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and you give you, you, gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, but that prophet you shall put to death. Revelation, says, Revelation 22 says, do not add to the words of this prophecy. Anyone who adds to the words of this prophecy, these plagues will be added. Do not take away from the words of the prophecy or you will rule yourself out of, of the, your share in the tree of life. There are consequences to adding to or taking away from the Word of God. The Israelites, Deuteronomy says the same thing. The Israelites are to kill such a person. Put such a person to death. That's how seriously God takes His Word and adding to it or taking away from it. But what is Moses warning against in Deuteronomy? It's very simple. Idolatry. Idolatry. The danger is so great to the Israelites back even in Deuteronomy, they are instructed to take the greatest care 
in avoiding it. If this dreamer of dreams or this prophet comes and gives you a vision, and it is taking away or adding to what I have said, and it is wrong, kill them. If it leads you to worship other gods, kill them. See, the reality is the reason we add to or the reason we take away from the, from the Word of God is always the same. It's idolatry. Now, just so that we know and we're clear, you're going to say to me, John, well, that's Old Testament. That's fair enough. They had a real problem with idolatry. They were firing up statues left, right, and center. You know, worshiping idols, all that stuff. We don't do that no more. We're a hundred. Yeah? We've got this sussed. This is not an issue for us. Well, just in case, there have never been in all of history any more idols than there are right now. Let me give you some. The idol of health. I don't know how many people I talk to during the week, but I guarantee you part of the conversations will revolve around health. It doesn't help that I'm in a hospital seven nights a week at the moment, but it will revolve around health. It will revolve around how we can be more healthy. It will revolve around how we can be more exercise. It will revolve around how much we eat better. It will revolve around blah, blah, blah. And if you go on social media, that's all there is. And it can become an idol very, very quickly. What about the idol of entertainment? I, like, if I, if I, this is, this is a metaphorical, right, shooting myself in the foot every Sunday. All right, I do this. But again, we numb ourselves with the idol of entertainment. What about the idol of comfort? What about the idol of career advancement? What about the idol of self-esteem? What about the idol of family? Folks, that's one of the biggest. That is one of the biggest. At all costs, we will defend our idol of family. It is the biggest threat to the church, or one of the biggest threats to the church. Self-protection, self-preservation, family protection, family preservation, and we will do all we can to protect that, our own little bubble. It's not biblical, and it's not right. We are full we are, as I think it was Spurgeon, then Keller picked it up, our hearts, maybe Calvin as well, before Spurgeon, our hearts are idle factories. 
We produce them over and over again. And we need to be vigilant that we're not doing that. Every time we look for satisfaction or look for contentment or look for our identity in any of those things, we are in fact adding to or taking away from the words of Scripture. Because here's the thing. We might think adding, from, adding to Scripture or taking away from Scripture is big things like, you know, same-sex marriage or whatever it might be, big issues of the day. We might think that those are the things to watch out for. But every time we look for satisfaction or our identity, or whatever we're looking for in those idols, we add to or take away from the Word of God, because the Word of God says that we are to find all those things in Christ Jesus. And we're to worship Him only. When we worship anything or anyone else, we are taking away from what He said. Again, John, we see it in the passage here. John was tempted again when he sees these beautiful images, when he sees all these wonderful things. What's he tempted to do? Worship the angel. Like he's been told before. Back earlier in Revelation, when he went to worship the angel, the angel said, you must not do that. It's not me. Worship him. Human beings. All the same. You could tell us to do one thing one day, and what are we going to do the next day? Not do one thing one day. We're going to do the same thing. It's like I shared a video the other night in our home group with our home group about the wee. I'm sure you saw it if you're on the TikTok or on the Instagram or on the Facebook. It's like of a sheep being pulled out of a ditch, right? And the sheep is pulled out of the ditch and literally runs down and jumps into the ditch again. That's us. That's John. Don't worship me. Okay, I'll not do that. Angel. We are tempted always to run after things that are not God. And there's a warning here not to do that. Two types of people. God's people obey His Word, keep His Word. Not God's people add to, take away. Two other groups. God's people are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God's enemies will pay for their sins. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might be right. They might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. Those who are blessed are those who have had their robes washed. But we're told here, those who are unrepentant will bear the penalty for their sins. We, the other night, were talking about, because there's a list in Revelation 21, and in the other night in our Connect group, we were talking about these lists. And it seems strange. They're strange lists. If you, go back to, if you go back to 21 and you look at the list there, they're strange things. Like murderers and sorcerers. And we, we, we get all that. And then 
at the end of it, it's just, and all liars. Right? Look at today's list. 22. Outsider, dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. So it's like these wee lists, right? They're, they're, they're thrown in there and, and they look, like we get the murderers, definitely. Oh yeah, because we're so much better than them, right? We're, we're better than the murderers. So yeah, we get that. Sorcerers, they're, definitely they're not going to make it. Uh, all these and all liars. Who might that include? Everyone. Even a wee white one. And all liars. Today, murderers, sorcerers, the sexually immoral, and all who love to practice falsehood. Just in case you think you're off the hook, we're not. We're not. It is only those who have their robes washed by the blood of the Lamb will inherit eternal life. That's the point. That's the point. These wee lists seem arbitrary. They seem like prescriptive. Basically, they're describing everyone. Basically, they're describing everyone. And those who are unrepentant will bear the penalty for their sin. And they, we're told, will be in the lake of fire. Jesus says, I am coming soon. What are we to do? What are we to do? Jesus says, I am coming soon. What are we to do? Well, I think the writer of the Hebrews said it best, and it's the best advice we have. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2 said this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's what we're to do, folks. We are in light of Christ's second coming, which he says is coming, he is coming soon. We are to throw everything off that hinders us, and we are to run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what we're to do. Charles Spurgeon said this Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grip, grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. That's what we're to do. 
Hold earthly things with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. Folks, is that what we're doing? Seriously. Is that what I'm doing? I'm going to go old school on us. Jesus said He's coming soon. We don't know when that is. But if He showed up today, one, would we be ready? Have we had our robes washed? And two, would our lives remotely reflect the fact that He told us He was coming? It's not as if we haven't been warned. Let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles, keeping our eyes fixed on Him, Let's run the race with perseverance and endurance until he does appear and he comes back for his church. Let me pray for us. Father, we need your spirit. Desperately need your spirit to help us. You have told us in your word, and we don't want to take away from it, and we don't want to add to it, but you've told us in your word. Jesus has told us he is coming back soon. And sometimes when we look around and we see the world and the mess that it's in, we, we do cry those words, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Wrap it all up. We want to be ready. And so help us. Father, if there's anyone in this room, anyone who doesn't know Jesus, a Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would break into their lives and save them, would redeem them, and that you would wash their robes for them. pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.